tree started with a joke, so I'll tell a quick anecdote. Uh, yesterday, I had to drop Grant off at work, and he wasn't feeling up for it. He had one of those days he got called in on Valentine's Day, and then he worked Friday night. And so Saturday night, he just was playing outside and didn't want to go to work. So he gets ready, and, and we're on the way, and he kind of had a down face. And I said, what's bad? He goes, I just don't want to go to work. I said, I understand. There's a lot of days I don't want to go to work. I said, I think what you should do is kind of make, have a paradigm shift. You know, make it, make it joyful. Figure out a way you can be happy about it. I said, make it your job. First thing is to see how quick you can make somebody laugh. So we started looking up some jokes, and I found one. And I said, so when you walk into work and the first person asks you, Grant, how, you're doing, how are you doing? Just say, I'm doing great. I got my IQ test results back. And they're like, oh, great. How'd you do? And he says, well, they came back negative. <laughs> and I don't know if he told that one or he told the other one about the chicken. Is why did the, uh, why did Beethoven get rid of all of his chickens? Because they kept saying, bark, bark, bark. That's the joke I think he told, right? Yeah, so. Laughter is the best medicine, they say. So, uh, heard my mom say that to Titus yesterday. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, They shall see God, future tense. That's an interesting choice of words there from our Lord and Savior. There was three friends uh, from childhood that grew up together uh, from adolescence on, and they were all golfers. And they had uh, made this plan throughout their teenage years and early adulthood that they would meet twice a year on a golf course and reconnect. And throughout their you know, young adult years and then into manhood, one of them became a, a man of the cloth. One of them became a priest. And then the, the other one became a doctor, and the third one became an engineer. And so they met at their local course that they used to play on their high school golf team, and uh, they were on the waiting around the fifth green, and they noticed that their play had come to a direct halt. And so after a few minutes of standing there, what seemed like eternity to at least the engineer, the engineer blurted out, we've been sitting here for at least 15 minutes. What is it with this group in front of us? And the doctor says, yeah, I've, I haven't seen this inept of golf ever. And the, uh, the priest said rather calmly, well, here comes the marshal. Let's ask him. And so the marshal comes up, and the priest says, hi, George. Uh, what's with this group ahead of us? They, they seem to be pretty slow. And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, that's a group of blind firemen. And last year, if you remember, our clubhouse burned down, and these guys helped, or started to burn down. And these guys helped protect them because of the fumes and the flames. They all ended up blind. And so we let them golf whenever they want free. And the priest, you know, obviously they all had embarrassment, you know, for their impatience. And the priest said, you know, I'm going to say a special prayer for them tonight. Um, see if God will miraculously heal them. And the doctor in his own thoughts finally spoke and said, you know, I'm going to call my ophthalmologist friend tomorrow and see if she can offer any sort of solution uh, or any help. And after a few moments of waiting for the engineer to speak up, he says, why can't they play at night? there's a perspective that every single one of us view things through. 
We all have this lens that we look through, every human being on earth. And it's interesting how you can, if you take the time and you, and you, you listen to people and you, and you listen to where they're coming from or their background or their history or their gender, their perspective will be different. Some of you have heard me tell a story, probably most of you haven't. Uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, we were building a house. Uh, it was going to be in the parade of homes, and it was midnight or so, and we were the night before the parade started, and we were putting this clock on the wall. True story, putting this clock on the wall, and the husband and I were looking at the clock and says, it needs to go left. And the wife says, it needs to go right. And we argued about it for five minutes, and finally the husband and wife started getting kind of verbally aggressive towards one another. I mean, they were obviously angry, and I couldn't understand how the woman would, could be so off balance. I was looking at her feet to make sure she had, you know, both boot shoes on, because it was like, it obviously needs to go to the left, and she's saying, you guys are imbeciles, it needs to go to the right, and finally it dawned on me, what, no, what, are you, what number are you looking at? She says, I'm looking at the 12. And the husband looks at me and he says, I'm looking at the six. And so they were both correct. The 12 needed to go to the left and the six needed to go to the right in order for it to be plumb. Is that making sense? That's the perspective that people look through a different lens. And this morning, uh, I want to look at something that human beings have uh, argued over. It's a very common theme. It's a very common saying in our culture. Uh, I heard it two days ago when I was on this, this ski hill with, uh, with Grant, we were, talking about, uh, we were talking about this with one of our friends, and um, the perspective that we get oftentimes from a com- comes from a common belief of the saying, follow your heart. How many have heard that expression? How many of you have been counseled to follow your heart? No? That's surprising. I've had friends tell me constantly, just follow your heart. When I was younger, follow your heart. Um, I've done some counseling. My wife and I have done counseling in the past, and sometimes uh, we get to a point where the husband and wife are just at odds, and inevitably one of them will go to some ungodly counsel, and the ungodly counsel says, you just need to follow your heart. And they say, well, my heart is telling me that I'm no longer in love with this person. And so follow your heart, and go ahead and leave. And that is something that we are, we're going to deal with today, is, is the heart. We're going to look at the human heart, and my, my goal of even telling that little quip about the, the fireman and the engineer was what the world says to follow our heart. And what I'm going to ask you today, beg you today, to have a paradigm shift if you believe in the follow your heart. Um, In my notes, I actually have here, it says illustration dry erase board. There's a dry erase board in the back, but I was going to put a dry erase board here and just put follow your heart and a lot of different little sayings, and I was going to erase it and say, let's just erase the board this morning and let's start over and let's look at what the Bible says about the human heart. I think it's essential because the subject matter today is the beatitude, the sixth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is the beatitude this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart. And I was telling Justin, who's preaching next week, on uh, blessed are those 
the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I said, I've been studying this, the Beatitudes now for, for maybe two months, and I've really gotten deep into the Beatitudes, and uh, it, it, has, it has forced me to look inwardly. It has forced me to look at myself and look at the Word, and I'm seeing something in the Beatitudes I've never seen before, and I'm going to challenge any of you Bible scholars to look at this, okay? Or anybody that's interested in really understanding the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. I believe, I'm going to say it, I, I, I'm still so strong about this, I believe we are seeing the salvation story in the Beatitudes. I believe we see it through Joseph's life, I believe we see it through Egypt and Israel and Moses, I believe we see it through the nation of Israel wandering. I believe we see it crossing the Jordan. And I believe we are seeing it again and again and again in the first big sermon that Jesus preaches. The Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is the salvation story. And this is the first time I've ever said that out loud other than to Justin earlier. Uh, and maybe I might have said it to, I don't know, Hollis or, or Steve or something. But I'm picturing this and I'm seeing the beginning of it, and I'm seeing where it's going. And so this morning we're going to look at the idea of blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the word pure, we're not going to spend hardly any time on it because it's very simple. The word pure uh, means, in the Greek, clean. That's what it means. Create in me a clean heart. It's in the Hebrew as clean, and it's in the Greek as clean. So when it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the clean in heart, for they shall see God. Okay? We don't need to spend any more time on that. It's opposite of dirty or tainted. That's what it is. It's clean. Now, the same word is used in Proverbs uh, 20. We're going to, if you guys are not good at flipping through the Bible, uh, that's Okay. Um, just follow with me. That's why I gave you the notes uh, that you can look and follow in order. Uh, later on, if you want to come back and say, what did he, what did he say? So in Proverbs chapter 20, it sa- verse 5, it says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but, out of, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find it. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin? I think that's a rhetorical question that's being asked here. Who can say, I, I have made my heart clean? I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin. I think it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no one can say, I have made my heart pure. I have made my heart clean. Okay, another place that this this pure or clean is used is in the 51st Psalm. And this this is something we will look at later, so I'm just going to read the one verse in, in verse 10. It says, Create, David is approached by Nathan the prophet after he went in uh, to Bathsheba, and he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's praying to God, create in me a pure, a clean heart. That's what David is praying. And so this concept of pure versus dirty, or pure versus tainted, or clean versus dirty, it it's, seems to be a very simple concept. So now that I feel like I've addressed that, we don't need to address it anymore for the time being, what is the heart biblically? 
What is the heart biblically? I, I looked up the concordance. I got out my concordance, and I sat down, and I read every single verse in the Old Testament and the New Testament that had the word heart in it. Heart or plural hearts. And almost a thousand times, over I think it's 800 times or 770 something times in the Old Testament, the word heart is used. And then in the New Testament, it's much less. But the Old Testament is much bigger. The heart is used almost a thousand times in the Bible. And when I looked up that word, I'm wondering, okay, is it referring to the four-chambered muscle that beats in each one of us that pushes blood to our extremities? Or is it referring to the emotion or the feeling that each one of us have had when something bad happens or when something good happens? My, my heart was broken when my best hunting dog died. My heart was literally broken when one of my best friends in college got in a drunk driving accident and was killed at 22 years old, 21 years old. I wept. I wept like I have never wept in my entire life before the funeral. It was the, one of the most painful experiences of my life for Tony Lopez to get the phone call at 6.30 in the morning that Tony was dead. I had spent, I was golfing with him two days before that at Adobe, Adobe Creek. And then he went off to play summer ball. My heart was literally crushed. Or is it, my heart is full. When I see Evelyn playing the violin at a concert, or Grant's ripping on the piano, you know, or, or Titus gets his first big bull, you know, it's like my heart is full. Is that what the heart is talking about? Is that what the Bible is referring to? Is it the physical thing or is it the emotion? Well, in the Hebrew, the word for heart, 3822 in the Strong's Concordance, I think, 3820, 3280, 3280, one of those I might, 3820, thank you. 3820 and 24 are the two main ones that are used throughout the, uh, in the Hebrew. It is pronounced leb, it's L-A-B-E. And it means the feelings, the will, and even the intellect. The feelings, the will, and even the intellect. Okay? In the Greek, it's pronounced cardia, which means thoughts or feelings. And then it has a colon or whatever it's called, that little half circle thing. It's mind. So thoughts, feelings, or mind. So that's what, the, that's what the, the definition is of the Hebrew word and the Greek word that are used throughout the Scripture almost exclusively. I think there was a few times when it talks about the abdominal side of it, the anatomy, but not hardly ever. It's almost 99.9% of the time it's talking about the feelings, the thoughts, the will, and even the intellect. Now, I mentioned that there was almost 1,000 references, so let's go ahead and look at the very first reference in the Bible. The first Bible study I ever went to that really grabbed me, the preacher, the teacher, he says, we're going to read through the, new, or read through the Bible, and when I first word I come to that excites me, I'm going to stop. And so he opened it up, he gets to Genesis 1-1, and he says, are you ready? In 
the. The. <laughs> We're like, what? I can't do it nearly as good as trees. Like, what are you talking about? The. That word, is that important to you? And it's like not a beginning, not some beginning, not one beginning, the beginning. It's like God just saying, I'm not even going to give an explanation for how I've done what I've done. I'm just going to tell you I did it. And so if you fast forward six chapters, in Genesis chapter 6, this, this is before the flood. It's before God decides to flood the earth. And starting in verse 1, he said, uh, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives as many as they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not be abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw... First time the word heart is used in the Bible. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In the NIV it says was only evil all the time. So the first time it's used, it says about the heart that dwells in us that the every intention of the thoughts of his heart. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved to his heart. And then if you fast forward one page and you go to chapter 8, verse 21, it's the second time that heart is used. In 8.21, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Only evil all the time, evil from his youth. We're going to go to another reference in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In the book of Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 37, the Lord said to Moses, this is Moses who is instructing God's chosen people, the Israelites. Okay? The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Very specific. And it shall be a tassel for you to look and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them not to follow your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah, one of the major prophets. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 12. Start in verse 10. And when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say, because... Your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn, evil will, refusing to listen to me. That word will is the exact same Hebrew word as heart. Remember, will, 
emotion, uh, feelings, intellect, mind. It's the same word that's used. Go to Jeremiah 17, 9. Same book, one chapter forward. Jeremiah 17, 9. We're going to look at some other passages later. But it says here in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Go to Matthew 15. Had to throw one New Testament passage in there for you. Matthew 15, Jesus is speaking, and He called the people to Him, and He said, Hear and understand, verse 10. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to Him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus said, Well, please call them back so I can apologize. No, Lily, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He's separating this, this law of food requirements and cleansing, physical cleansing rites. He's saying it's not what goes in you that makes you defiled or unclean. It, what, it's what comes from your heart that makes you unclean or defiled or impure. Jesus said earlier, blessed are the pure in heart. So when I look at this, I have to summarize what the Bible describes the heart as. Is it something that we should follow? Or is it something that needs an adjustment? Think about that. There were almost a thousand verses in the Bible about the human heart. And I read a very small blip of the ones that talk about where our heart is, or where our heart was, or where our heart is in humans. It says, every intention is only evil, evil from youth, not to follow it. Uh, uh, it is a fool to those who follow their heart. Uh, anybody who follows their stubborn and evil heart, they are deceitful. The heart is deceitful. The evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, all that stuff comes out of the heart. It sounds like we need a new heart because the old heart is deceitful and the thoughts are evil. So I'm taught by a preacher that says, if you're going to tell them something, tell them this way and this way and this way and this way. And so I don't mean to be redundant, but I want you to get past this thinking that the world is telling you to follow your heart. You're not supposed to follow your heart. That's not what God says anywhere in the Bible. And I challenge anybody to show me a scripture in the Word of God that says, Nate, follow your heart. It's not in there. But the counselors will tell you, follow it. Now, I'm not going to get into the difference between the gut, 
which is based on experience and maybe wisdom and knowledge. That's different than the heart. That's a whole other subject. That's a, that's a philosophical discussion we can have after the sermon or tomorrow or whenever. But I'm talking about what is in a man's heart, his human nature. And then, and I look at scriptures where Samuel, I'm sorry, David has this egregious sin against Uriah and Nathan the prophet challenges him and David is convicted of his evil sin of getting a man murdered, sleeping with the man's wife, getting her pregnant. I mean, he just, he, he, was, he did something detestable in the eyes of a God follower. Detestable. And David replies, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. He's praying to God, create in me. A clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is David appealing to God after seeing the error of his ways and seeing the sin that he committed against his own people. He's asking God to create in me. Is this something David's going to do for himself? Because I read earlier that who can say, I have given myself a clean heart? He's asking God to create in him a clean heart, a pure heart. Guys, this is real stuff. This isn't just a sermon that you're going to check the box off. This is, this is real Bible. This is real God. This is, this, is, this is God's love letter to you, speaking to each one of us individually, myself, every one of you, He's speaking to you, saying, clean hearts, clean hearts, clean hearts. You need a clean heart. Your heart is deceitful. And I, and, I, and I look at the scriptures and I go, okay, why do we need a clean heart? Why do we need a new heart? What's the point? I know people that aren't Christians that are good people. But why do we need a new heart? And in Hebrews chapter 4, it's talking about the Word of God. And it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What do you desire? What do you want to believe? What are you going to seek after? 
Because the word here says, in and of itself, the word of God is living. The word of God is active. And the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. But the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.10, we read that a little bit ago when I just quoted it. Quoted that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. The very next verse says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. He is seeking, he is searching, he is looking at it. Jeremiah 9, I've used this passage, I don't know how many times in studies when people are asking me about this concept and the subject of baptism. And we get into the concept of circumcision of the heart. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, a few pages earlier, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. They have simply undergone the physical fleshly Jewish ritual circumcision found starting back in Abraham's day. Genesis chapter 17, he's like, everybody's going to be circumcised. Everybody in your house, every foreigner, every sojourner, everybody's going to be circumcised. He says, the days are coming when I will punish those who are only circumcised in the flesh, the whole house, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised. And then he says, and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. He says he will punish those who are not circumcised in the heart. They're only circumcised in the flesh. So the answer is, why do we need a new heart? One, God looks at it. He searches it. And then he says, you're punished if your heart is not circumcised. Do we need a new heart? Yes, we need a new heart. I can't see any other way that, to explain this passage. So then I go to, this is like a series of questions. You go down one of those, if you answer this question, then it leads to another one, and then another one, and then another one. So who changes our hearts? Is it me? Is it you? Do you change your heart? Do you all of a sudden say, God, you know, I'm going to go perform spiritual surgery on myself, and I'm going to change my heart, and it's, I'm going to do it all. Well, let's see what the Scriptures say. I can tell you what I think, but I may be wrong. So I'm going to tell you what the Scriptures say. We're going to read it together. Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He answers his own question. Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Not what does he suggest. Not as what he's saying you should do. What is he telling the nation of Israel? What is required of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, I'm sorry, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and uh, the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, 
you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You know, it's very interesting. Moses said that he had uncircumcised lips when he was standing before God before he went to Pharaoh. So the Bible talks about circumcision of the flesh, which for males you can understand. Then it has circumcision of the lips, circumcision of the ears, and circumcision of the heart. All four are taught in the Bible, Old Testament, and referenced as well in the New Testament. Is this interesting to you? Because I'm having too much fun. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I wish there was a thousand people there I could be preached to because it would just go, I don't know if I'd stop. People just start leaving. I think you're going to have to leave. You're going to get a call. I hope to God you don't get a call so you can hear the end of the, the message. But it says here, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. It almost seems like God is telling his children to circumcise their hearts. It almost reads that way. In fact, it does read that way. But if you fast forward just a little while uh, in advance to Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says very simply, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So that. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and you will live. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. We see this through the entire Bible. We see this concept of the heart is deceitful. The heart needs cured. Created me a pure heart, a clean heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And I ask, God, why God? Why, why are you doing this? Why would you tell us to do this? And we just looked at it, and I skipped over it intentionally rather quickly, but in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he tells us why. He says, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. He commands them to circumcise their hearts. He says God's going to circumcise their hearts for their own good. We resist things that are good for us. Right, Brenda? She's, right when I said that, she's like, vegetables. Have another grilled cheese sandwich, Nate. Have another quesadilla with avocado. I'm like, it's green. It's good, Dennis. You should try it again. Try the homemade guacamole. We, we, we resist. It's human nature. We resist what's good for us. And God's saying, for your own good, blessed are the clean in heart. For they shall see God. Remember I said that one question leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. If the heart is corrupt, and if the heart is deceitful, 
And if the heart needs repaired and replaced, and if God's the one that does it for our own good, when? When? When did God decide that that's going to take place? I can give you one example. There may be more. There may be more scriptures. But this is the one we're going to look at this morning. And Paul is writing to the church at Coloss. Go to Philippians and then flip over a couple pages. And what I did, I'm going to read this passage, but for those of you that did happen to get a handout, I found a commentary. I'm not going to read this whole thing today, but I want you to take it. If anybody doesn't have one and they need one, I'll either send it to you, email, or you can have this one, because I have it at home. The heart is corrupt. The heart is deceitful. It needs replaced, repaired. It needs to be pure. It needs to be given by God. He does it for our own good. When does he do that? When does he purify our heart? When does he clean our heart? When does he circumcise our heart? And in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Remember, I wish I had this thing that says, don't follow your heart. My whole goal was to follow the Word. Forget what the heart says. The heart needs trained. It needs corrected. It needs taught. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. See to it that you are not held captive by teachings that are based on the traditions of man, and he said, and she said, and they said, but rather, do not go beyond what is written according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Stay with the written word. See to it that no one takes you captive, like you would a prisoner by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the elemental, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ, in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Christ also you were circumcised. Not, I'm sorry, I'm going up to the NIV in my mind. I'm reading out of the ESV. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Remember back in Deuteronomy 30, he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you may follow him and love him and do everything he wants you to do and give you the spirit to cut off that stone of flesh and to guide you into obeying him for your own good. Remember when God said that in the, in the Old Testament? Well, then he says here, again, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, not the physical circumcision, by putting off of the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision done by Jesus, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. I am going to read one comment on this at the end. And Paul says this about that. This is what this author says about this particular, this particular passage. But it must be noted that symbolism, this is the last two paragraphs, that symbolism could become a reality 
only under one condition. It could become real only when a man believed intensely in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It could only happen, and he's referring to baptism, it could only happen when a man believed in the effective working of God, which had raised Jesus Christ from the dead and could do the same for him. Baptism for the Christian was in truth a dying and rising again because he believed that Christ died and risen again and that he was sharing the experience of his Lord. Romans chapter 6. That was my scripture ad. You speak about circumcision, said Paul. The only true circumcision is when a man dies and rises with Christ in baptism in such a way that is not part of his body, which is cut away, but his whole sinful self, which is destroyed, and he is filled with newness of life and the very holiness of God. Romans chapter 2. I'm going to close with two passages. Romans chapter 2. It says, For circumcision is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. He's talking to a group of Jews here. So then, if a man is uncircumcised, he keeps the precepts of the law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And then he goes on to say, for, not, for no one is a Jew who is merely one in, or outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. I got a text this morning from a man that I have grown to love and respect rather greatly, actually. And he sent this passage to me. And I had it in my notes, but I didn't put it in my notes for the final message until he sent me the text this morning. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's the 24th Psalm. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He answers it with this. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's who. That's who will ascend the hill of the Lord and that's who will stand in His holy place. It's the one with a pure and clean and a renewed heart. Brothers and sisters, when I read this the attitude, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I see these eight blessings. I mean, it just, it, it's God setting up. He's setting up, blessed are the poor in spirit who have reached the bottom that said, I have nowhere else to go because there's nothing the world can offer me that even comes close to what God can offer and then he says, blessed are those who mourn, who look at their own sin, and they go, oh my gosh, I am a, a wicked human being. But there's a plan. And I 
need to accept that plan. And the only way I can accept that plan is to be meek, is to be humble. And now that I've gotten that desire, I'm going to thirst and hunger to understand the knowledge of God. I'm going to seek Him like I would buried treasure. And then it says, oh, and blessed are the merciful. One thing I didn't hit on, which I would I wish I would have hit on a little bit, but I didn't want to be redundant because in Matthew 6 we talk about, we're going to be talking about this in the sermon on the mount, is forgiveness. We cannot experience the forgiveness of God until we are able to forgive others. That's biblical. Don't kill the messenger. They already did. That is biblical. You cannot forgive You cannot accept the forgiveness and truly receive the forgiveness of God until you understand you have to forgive others. And then the next one is, blessed are the pure in heart, whose hearts, okay, I forgive what people have done. I am able to receive the forgiveness that God has given me because I was a wreck before Jesus. Now I can receive it. And now I can have my heart purified. Now I can have my heart cleansed. And next week, Justin is going to be talking about blessed are the peacemakers. And to me, it's just another step in the process that God has laid out throughout the entire Bible of I want a relationship with you. I want you back. I want you back. You have fallen. I'm going to help you get up. Praise God that the hospital didn't call. I'm going to get a phone call on Wednesday telling me that Bina is healthy and happy and all good to go, right? Okay. Um, A few of you would like to stick around. We're going to pray over Bina. She has surgery on the 22nd. Is that right? Uh, we're going to pray over her for some quick healing. And uh, let's go ahead and do our communion meditation. And Who has it this morning?